Coming up in this episode of the podcast, we look at which team you should support. We also make some bold predictions for the season ahead, and we cover all of the latest news and developments ahead of the coming season. So kick back and enjoy the latest episode of the Super Basis Roundup podcast. And welcome to the May 2020 episode of the Super Basis Roundup podcast. I'm your host, Ian Albert, and joining me is my co-host, Mikko Pirhonen. Uh, Mikko, how are you doing? You all right? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Excellent. Um, unfortunately, our other co-host, uh, Ron, uh, couldn't be with us at the moment. Uh, pressures of work and, and, and such being what they are. Miko, these times are so crazy. It seems as though almost every moment something different is happening. <laughs> There's some news uh, about something. Uh, we'll go on to the news section in a bit. But uh, there was one thing that I wanted to, to mention at this stage. You've been doing some uh, Zoom conference sessions with uh, the Asian Paspalo Federation. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I mean... Uh... It started as an idea from the uh, Indian uh, Pazapala Federation and Asian Pazapala Federation people as they are in a state of uh, total lockdown uh, for the entire Indian subcontinent, basically. So all of a sudden, I mean, from from this crisis, also something good emerged in that sense. So uh, when people uh, have had a lot of more... A lot more time on their hands. Uh, we managed to start this kind of a session that, like a daily audience of uh, eager Pesapalo fans, and uh, it's been expanding quite nicely. I mean, uh, especially baseball-related people, for example, from uh, countries such as Ghana, uh, Tanzania, and uh, so on. They. They have also been interested in this game and uh, we did it on a daily basis for almost three weeks and uh, now we had also nice guests for example a super basis played an umpire uh, Jesse Mäkinen a former uh, super basis pitcher and a current uh, Kovalan Palolle board member Stefan Spuratura and uh, these kind of people who use uh, English as their tool in everyday life. So it's been a great experience, to be honest. Fantastic. And um, it's interesting you mentioned about uh, a lot of baseball people coming to Pespalo at the moment. You may have seen the, the interview that uh, I, I did with um, Juha Leskinen from Silenjarfa in Pesis. Yeah. Um, well, we were talking about... Um, you know, content and, and things like that, because obviously he's the new content creator for uh, SIPA. And um, one of the things that I, I noticed was th- there was a couple of people from America who started tweeting about Pespalo. And then because I was saying, oh, yeah, you should check out the blog, you should check out the podcast, I had a huge amount of uh, American followers join and uh, a load of views from uh, on the podcast. In fact, looking uh, just today, uh, there seem to be a lot of people or a lot of downloads from Texas, which is great. You know, <laughs> never thought that we'd get uh, get reached uh, to Texas. It's quite interesting. It is. It is. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, for example, on Twitter, that uh, I see this as a perfect uh, time to bring Pesapala forward as people's uh, lockdown sport or <laughs> like a... Uh, some like Korean baseball, for example, is at the moment that they, they're hitting ridiculous levels of uh, spectators uh, through uh, different kinds of media outlets all over the world. So, 
this is like uh, we have never had a situation before where for example uh, super passes will probably be played but major league baseball is not played at the same time so it's not they are not excluding each other out but it's a it's an interesting thing to to play with the idea and uh, also just sh I'm shortly mentioning uh, that when we have been talking about these possibilities of creating like international opportunities for people to follow the game I have had for example I have had uh, two very interesting contacts uh, in the last couple of days from Pesapolo clubs who have been asking that if uh, if I could be if I could come and do uh, like commentary for one game in English and uh, I, I also know that uh, the Super Pesis is also in talks of doing that uh, on some level uh, within their uh, existing TV deal so it is definitely something that is like under consideration but obviously financial things and those have to be taken into consideration but I think it could become something mm. I, I agree I mean it's it's the way things are very sadly uh, English is such a widely spoken language that it is kind of the gateway to to many different things so being able to get the sport out there it, it's going to have to adapt and, and and use English to kind of spread the word you and I have talked a number of times about how great it would be to have a game commentated on in English and what what you're saying really is exciting to me I can't wait uh, to see if that comes off um, yeah but uh, yeah in, in terms of the general kind of situation at the moment we've, we've going to talk about the news in a bit more detail but there is some good news things are moving forward uh, in terms of the season um, but the details aren't all there yet yeah I mean the existing like the status right now is that uh, the women's super season would be starting in June and the men's super season would be starting basically at the start of July so the women's league would be played roughly two or three weeks uh, before the men's season would start and that is basically because of the restrictions concerning the audience that you can the, the amount of spectators that you can take inside what one event and that has been limited to 500 people for now up until the end of july at least so uh, in the women's game it creates problems but maybe not as much as in the men's game so that's why the women's league might be uh better equipped to start uh, like uh, a couple of weeks before. Looking at uh, the likelihood of, for example, Major League Baseball coming back anytime soon, um, that really doesn't seem to be on the horizon uh, from what I've seen, what I've heard. Um, any thought of, of playing what they've suggested being uh, a bubble league where the teams are held up in in like a hotel and they tested every day and all this and the other um logistically it's almost impossible for them to to work that so for people in the states or, or those who follow up uh, major league baseball there's a real gap in the market and one of the things i was talking with you haleskinen about and you may have seen some of the posts on the on the blog is how people come to different teams, how they can support them. Because obviously, I, I don't have any kind of knowledge personally of, of the different places in, in Finland and, and, and the teams other than what I read and what I see. Um, and, and I think a lot of people, that would be very similar if they're just picking this up as something new. So what I was trying to look at in those posts is almost like a little snapshot of my opinion of, of what these teams are like. From from your experience, obviously, you... Um, you're from uh, Su. You you played for Su. They're the current champions. What kind of characteristics would you say uh, describe the team? Well, uh, well, nowadays it's like uh, 
it's like you mentioned extremely well in the blog where where you went to all the teams is that uh, the success of Yoensu is is basically it's been building up gradually uh, throughout the years and uh, it is actually uh, like like in any other sport uh, success is just the end product of doing things well in every department and that's that has actually created a sustainable background for the club to be able to compete so they are actually in the in the whole sports uh, how should I put it if, if we take a look at all Finnish sports clubs and we compare that to the uh, overall level of doing things in terms of uh, the actual team and their preparation and their uh, facilities and also the kind of things that this club does outside the ground out of those some will create some financial benefit for example but uh, some are there just to give something back to the community so that's what I especially like as a local person that they, they give back to the community and it's uh, like it, that's just one example but I would like to say that about this uh, who to support it, it is an extremely important angle I mean it's not just uh, just for the international audience it's uh, it can be also to the Finnish audience because uh, to be honest this game is still like it hasn't reached its its limits within the borders of Finland uh, even though it's almost a hundred years old so it's it can still grow and it still needs to grow as a sport and uh, just like in any other sport that um, if you are from somewhere you are bound more likely to be connected with uh, the club that you grow up uh, the way where you actually grow up but but it can be basically the thing that takes you to support some team it can be it can be anything and then it starts from there and that's the beauty of being a, a, a supporter of something so uh yeah i think that this is this is the perfect year to do that kind of thing and uh you went through a lot of work to do that and i i I really enjoyed reading those uh, as as a, like a uh, as a perceptible person. Uh, you mentioned about um, something sometimes just clicks, or, or, or sometimes it's quite a personal thing to connect with different teams. You yourself, I, I know outside of Pespalo, you're a, a big Liverpool football club fan. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that that is true. How did you um, come to support Liverpool? Yeah, that's uh, I was just about to use that as an example because uh, long story short uh, when I was a kid I played football also and uh, in the Finnish TV on Saturdays we had the uh, 3pm game in England so it was like 5pm in Finland and that was basically one of the only live sports events that we had uh, throughout the winter at least on a, a weekly basis and uh when I was a kid, uh, the Liverpool golden era was about to, like, they were at the peak at the late 80s. So, uh, and they had some players who caught my attention. And back then, if, if, if somebody would have asked me for, like, for the next five years, that where is Liverpool located on the map? I couldn't even point out that it is actually somewhere in the northwest. I thought that okay, it's it's somewhere in England, but then obviously this thing grows deeper and you start to get affiliations and stuff like that. But it has to start from something, and for me, it was one skillful player, John Barnes that caught my attention and then the the team played well and uh, if I was born 10 years later it could have been some other club but uh, you need to have some kind of connection something that takes you there and uh, I, for that reason I was enjoying those texts enormously yeah um, I entirely agree uh, one, of, one of the main reasons I, I came to support um, the St. Louis Cardinals in Major League Baseball was because I, I was watching them play um, 
this was about 2001, 2000 now, um, in the middle of the night on TV in the UK. And uh, I just really liked the style of play, just got really into some of the players and the characters. Uh, and there was one player who stood out there that was uh, Albert Pujols. Yeah, who's a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, baseball player, yeah, he is. and uh, yeah, he he really lit up the clubhouse. So I, I really started to get into that, and I started to learn more about the club, and I started to learn more about St. Louis itself, um, and the history of the team. And you know, I'm a big history fan, so I went right back to when they were the um, St. Louis Browns and St. Louis Perfectos, and <laughs> all these strange things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. it was it was really really interesting to to to. To do, and I, I have such a, a lifelong connection now. Very much like you were saying, it's, it's almost I've nurtured it, and it's grown and grown over the years. Um, but sometimes it's it's just that little spark, that just that little thing to say, okay, I want to support somebody. Who are these teams? Tell me a little bit about them, and then I'll start to learn a lot more. Um, I, I don't pretend that my articles that I've written are the gospel on it; that they they are absolutely. Uh, what people should follow, or you know, everything you need to know about uh, all of the teams. But it's a little taster, I thought. So it is. It, it definitely is, and uh, that's. I mean, for me, I I see it as uh, like being a fan of something, or being a supporter, and picking your team is something that okay, it comes quite naturally for most people that if you start to watch a game, at the end of the game, you are thinking that you like one team more than the other, for example, even though you have no like uh, connection to those teams. But, uh, but also, it's one thing that like for rational people and people who have to use a lot of rational thinking, uh, for example, in their daily jobs or if it's if it comes naturally for them, uh, being a fan of something is just a, a very much needed and also appreciated opposite to that. So you can kind of let go of your rationality and just follow that and be just a... Uh, let your emotions even be attached to that thing so it's it's one thing that for example uh even though i admire enormously the enthusiasm and passion that uh the uh the manager of liverpool jürgen klopp uh like shows in every game uh, for me, for example, the, the job as a coach or manager is something that I go about it in a more like a rational fashion. So it's like uh, uh, as much as I like to see that, but for me it's a uh, working situation, more or less. One of the things that we touched on uh, in an earlier podcast and, and just a moment ago was where the teams in Superpesis are, are based most of them are in the countryside it's it's very much a, a sport of the countryside um but we do see some larger towns or, or even cities w- with teams in superpaces uh, now and one of the the key ones i wanted to uh, talk about was uh, tampere and uh, now have a team in superpaces which of course uh, you helped coach uh, last year up to uh, up to that spot in Superpaces. So from your time working with Tampere, what kind of team are Mansa Pepe? Well, they they are very much uh, as an organization. It's also been, uh, it's been done for, I would say a good 15 years or at least a good 10 years, the whole background work and building gradually and finding its natural spot within the sports community of uh, one of the largest cities on on Finnish scale because that's the that's the hard part of it I mean uh, up until the second I mean the up until the third highest level of Pesapalo it's pretty easy to get a good team in any uh, any city or town that has a good university or has job opportunities but uh Tampere is, uh, I mean, as an organization, they have solved a lot of problems that come after that level. I mean, they are able to get good players to the to the team and keep hold of those players. 
uh, it is very much a um, combination of styles from different sides of the country. So it's a bit of a like a melting oven of Basapal uh, styles and ways of doing things, and uh, it, it's an it's a fascinating mix. It it's got a lot of uh, influence from Pohjanmaa, the like the western region that is basically where you have most teams in the smallest uh, geographical area, but. They have a lot of their main figures now from that region. So let's see what it's like. But the team and the city, they are pretty much the, uh, like, like I said, the melting ovens of Pesapama. Well, I'm, I'm really interested to see how, how that plays out. But then you've got teams at the other end of the scale. Um, I know we mentioned, because uh, Ron's obviously a big Vimpelli fan, um, tiny little villages, 4,000 people or so um so it's it's a real kind of difference in the two things so uh, one of the things i tried to touch on in the the posts was try and get a bit of a flavor of some of those towns there is a difference um because every year there's uh, an equivalent of an all-star game the east versus west um i just wanted to because in for example in major league baseball uh, it's American League versus National League, and those were two competing organizations until they were joined to, to form Major League Baseball. So there's kind of a historical context behind why there's a difference. But I don't really know much about the East-West kind of divide, um, other than it's kind of a line on the map. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean... Uh... It's it's different in in Pesapalo in a in a sense that like obviously getting selected to the uh, East West game the Italian game it's uh, it's one of the highest uh, personal uh, accolades that you can get because it's like uh, it's a, as close to playing on a national team that you can actually get outside of actually playing in the national teams but up until now the national team of Finland is like is a place where you can just go and say that I want to play there if if they are playing international tournaments or so but uh, uh, the East-West game has a strong history and like uh, the major difference to all-star games in different sports is that uh, the the East West game in Finland is like they 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 really play uh, like hundred one hundred percent. So it's uh, it's a highly contested game and it's a uh, it's a matter of history and it's a matter of uh, kind of a pride to be able to hold that which side has won more. But that's the like the historical dividing of the teams has been done mostly as like the teams from the west the teams from the east and the south and the north yeah they have their own things but it's more like the styles of play uh, are more like the generalization of uh, uh, of the styles of play that from uh, from the western side of Finland they have a lot of uh, hard heavy hitters and they count on like hitting a huge number of runs whereas in the like in, in the eastern parts uh, for example Kite which is the town which is the um, club that I supported as a kid because it was the closest uh, super basis team from Joensu uh, so it's like 70 kilometers from from my town so we drove there to watch every game but uh, their thinking starts from the defense so from the outfielding so that has been a big difference when I have uh, come across to people from different sides of the countries but obviously there are huge exceptions to this kind of thing it's not so black and white but that's been that, that was the way that people were thinking when I was growing up well, I, th- I think one uh, player who probably embodies that is the man who's had the most uh, Italansi uh, games is uh, Tony Kohonen, who, of course, started his uh, career 
in Kite in Super Pesis. Um and then obviously he's he's won at ten championships. He's got I think seventeen or eighteen um medals in his in his cabinet yeah. effectively. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was um fantastic Lucari um and actually is one of the iconic players that I remember when I started coming to the game that I thought, yeah, this this is really interesting. And I, and I started to look at it from more the defensive position than an offensive position. And it was really interesting looking at all of that. So, yeah, it, it, I, th- I think what you mentioned about the differences between the East and the West is, is a really interesting um, difference. Obviously, players swap clubs. You know, they, 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 they sometimes transfer over to different clubs and they um, they may be picked for, for East one, one year and West the next. Is that the way it works? Well, yeah. I mean... Uh there's there's a lot of lots of different cases uh for the player transfers and the 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 reasons for the transfers and basically the players become free agents every year or every other year or maybe the longest contracts maybe three or four years but normally they're talking about short short-term contracts so uh, yes it's true that players switch uh, clubs for many reasons and uh, the cultures have blended a lot more so it's uh, it's become different but uh, but yeah I mean uh, Tony Kohonen is a very good embodiment of uh, what uh, what I was talking about and obviously growing up and he's a few years older than me following his career in the early stages I was like a huge fan of that wow can you actually play like that as a pitcher that he's, he was so physical and so full of fire that yeah I've, I've been a fan all my life well I think we're going to take a, a short break now and then when we come back we'll Uh, look towards the uh, up-and-coming season and some predictions. Okay, welcome back. So we're going to talk now about the up-and-coming season 2020 sort of just around the corner uh, going to be starting in July now it looks set to be quite a, an unpredictable season in many respects there's a lot of unknowns still about how the season will play out how many games will be played in any given week but apart from that one of the things that um, I'm trying to look at at the moment is who do we think right at the outset now is going to win the championship so it's always nice to kind of put a pin in the in the map and say right they're going to win um i i ran a poll on uh, on twitter and at the moment it's it's still open but uh, you and sue have a, a massive lead that um they've got a, almost half uh, of the votes that have been cast so far who do you think is going to win uh, in 2020 well i i always like to think uh, through the numbers and through the probabilities and that may come from my background of like uh, in mathematics and also like I like to think think about things that way and uh, for example the our, our national uh, sports betting company Vegas uh, gave the odds for the champion of super pass, men's super passes this year and uh, like uh, if we turn those into percentages uh, they gave just about over a 50% chance for Joensu to win the title and after that all the other teams were uh, located the nearest rivals were located at somewhere between 20 and 15 percent so it's not like uh, it's a huge difference it's actually one of the biggest ones that i've seen in recent years because for years and years there's been always like two or uh, like at least two major clubs uh, at the same times at the peak of their powers but 
now the consensus seems to be that uh, Joensu is just a step ahead almost in every sense but also in terms of uh, the level of the team so so yeah I would also say Joensu well it's it's, it's interesting you, you, you say how how far ahead the team seems uh, when I was watching the uh, Harley SM uh, group stage games they really dominated really really dominated and the thing that was really curious for me was was how well they dominated defensively because in 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 two games they only gave up one run uh, and when i was watching it back it was it was just really really tight defensive work um and and it's those kind of things like you say that that win championships rather than just games so i wouldn't be surprised if if you and Sue are in the mix I've gone for a bit of a risk. <laughs> okay. There's something. There's something telling me that uh, Corvola. It could be their year. They've got uh, um, some real big names, some real veterans coming to the uh, the team. Obviously, not at their peak. Yari uh, uh, Dahlstrom, of course, and um, Tony Corhan, and we'll talk a little bit about him in the news section uh, later if he's going to play much. Um, but it's these kind of things that, that suggest to me that the team is really making that big push. That they're trying to make a statement. Yeah, and they, I mean, they have been so close for a number of years. And it's like, uh, when we come to these kind of circumstances where the only certain thing is uncertainty for this season. I mean, uh, it's like uh, we get the schedule on Friday how they're thinking about playing the season so it's two days after recording this but uh it's like uh, in these kinds of situations one thing that comes up for sure is that if you have experience in your ranks and it, the names that you mentioned that they have added to the team and the play if you take a look at the players that Kovala have uh, they are like they have grown men. They are in their thirties and stuff like this. So they are, they have played this game. They know it inside out, and they're not gonna be affected if something uh, changes all of a sudden. So uh, that's why this season could be and it should be creating more opportunities to completely turn the tables uh, throughout the. Uh, league and that would be fascinating to watch i mean i would love to see that kind of season because predictability for a long time was one of the things that uh, actually pushed some people away from the sport to be honest yeah i i i agree looking back through the the medal tables and you see sotkamo uh, you know dominating year in year out it um it reminds me of uh, when I was growing up, a lot of people turned away from Manchester United. I grew up in the Northwest, as you know, and a lot of people kind of ridiculed people if they were United fans. My father-in-law's a, a lifelong United fan. He grew up in Manchester. You know, he's he's proper kind of born and bred kind of uh, Man United man. But, uh, you know, he was almost embarrassed to tell people that he supported them because <laughs> uh, they were so successful. Yeah, it's always the the thing that if, if somebody wins... Uh, too much uh, people start to want to push them away from their throne and like start to hate them and stuff like that hey i've i've never been that kind of a person I, they the dynasties they are well earned and it's like, like i respect that enormously but uh but yeah i mean everybody loves an underdog and we would love we would love to see uh, good, good news stories, and we will get those this season, I'm sure. Well, I asked um, Ron before uh, the podcast what he thought, and uh, he was fairly non-committal about some of his other answers. But uh, <laughs> he was straight out of the block saying, "Oh, despite who he wants to win, yeah. you and Sue have got this one." And I think using my head, he's probably right. But there's something telling me, I don't know. KPL are making these big statements. It's an unpredictable year. Maybe they could do it. Yeah, and they. I. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did. But like, I. Uh, I. I need to say that I. I mostly agree 
with uh, the predictions that have been made uh, lately in the in the media, like for the people who calculate the odds and predict uh, predict the things that will happen. So uh, they have a good shot at it. And uh, but I think that. Joenso made exactly the right moves. Now, okay, they lost one of their uh, uh, one of the hearts of the team, Thomas Jussela, but they made a shrewd signing by getting, in my opinion, the best head coach that you can get, Mikko Korhonen. So it's like uh, getting him was like uh, he brings something new, but he knows he's a he's a winner in this sport and he's an excellent head coach in in multiple sports so he's like uh, it's not even he's in his 40s yet so he brings that new energy he brings that new thing and he he like uh, that signing was for me was the signing of the season so far indeed i, I and i agree entirely it's going to be really interesting to see how that that pans out Looking then slightly further down the table, one of the other things I I talked about before the podcast started was who do we think is going to be in the top eight? Who do we think is going to make those spots for the playoffs? So who are your top eight for 2020, Mikko? Well, uh, I think that the top seven teams actually can be a little bit separated from the rest of the pack. I mean... Uh, apart from Joensu, there are the usual suspects of uh, like Sotkamo, Vimpeli, Kovala, uh, Rahe, uh, Hyvinkä. But then it's like uh, it's an open race for the eighth spot, as it has been for for many years, to be honest. And uh, okay, I forgot Seinäjoki, which is, who is the seventh team in my top seven, but. Um, in, in my papers, uh, having Thomas Jussila in his prime years is enough to get any team into playoffs. That's my opinion. So that's why I pick Imatra uh, Tom, for Thomas Jussila and uh, Sami Paretanen. Uh, they are the reasons why I think Imatra will uh, grab that last playoff spot. Well, last year, of course, uh, IPV... Uh, just missed out to uh, Kite, and it, it was it was in the last. I can't remember if it was the last game or the last couple of games of, at the end of the season. It was a really tight race. It was it really was. exciting to watch, right down to the wire, and they just missed it. Um, Dormus Yusila uh, signing is is fantastic uh, for them, and and I couldn't agree more. I'm really excited to see uh, how that uh, pans out as well. I've gone for the same top seven that you have, perhaps in a different order. Um, I've suggested that Raha could actually finish fourth. There's something, again, I've been a bit bold in my predictions here. There's something about them, I think, that um, they've got a lot of energy behind them. Uh, Sami Hapakoski's come back um, from from playing at Vimpelli. They played with a lot of fire in the um, Hale Sam games and they overturned Sotkama which was no mean feat yes of course you know it's only training games and, and but there's something about them I think maybe they could do it maybe could just take that extra step up to fourth well uh, I will actually even go further and uh, in my papers for their experience I mean if you take a look at the key players of the teams they have been there and they have won things but interestingly enough it has been a couple of years since they have actually been winning something or finishing in the top three so they are experienced players in like uh, the age 35 or so and uh, they still got more than enough in the tank to be able to compete and when the chips are down when we are playing high pressure games you you cannot rule that team out against anybody so i will go um, as far as saying that uh, if they can prevent playing against Joensu in the semi-finals they have a chance of making it to the finals 
that's an interesting prediction and i wouldn't uh i wouldn't dissuade you from that uh i think that's that's an interesting shout my eighth place team again i, I think i've gone for a bit of a gamble on all of these but uh i really like the energy from mansa pepe um they've got mati ivarinen uh, as as game manager for this year um they've made signings like uh, Yuha Niemi to really uh, bolster run production um, they're quite a young team, they seem hungry for it, they played really well in the Halle uh, SM group games and when I was watching the Hovinka game they looked really competitive now if they can keep that up and if it's an unpredictable season just a couple of uh, results here and there could put them above some of the other teams but uh, I've gone for IPV in ninth and I've suggested it might go down to the wire so I, I might change that and uh, I, I would be surprised if there's not a like a huge dogfight again to, for that eight spot and uh, like I wouldn't be surprised to see Monse for the uh, potential that they have especially in their key players that they are able to win games or get points out of games against uh, a lot of the big teams and uh, uh, yeah I mean it's a wild card uh, Monse really is a wild card this season I mean it could go either way if we're honest there are areas uh, in in that game that need to be developed a lot and Ivarinen knows that very well and it's just a matter of uh, obviously if things click uh, I wouldn't bet against yours <laughs> your choice and uh, for personal reasons obviously I would love to see them in the playoffs but let's see what the season brings um, again, I asked Ron. This was one of his more non-committal answers. He, yeah, he said yeah. he, he wouldn't really like to say uh, who would be in the top eight. Um, and then my final question was, of course, uh, who do we think is going to finish last? Now, there's not going to be any relegation yes. this year. So my thought is that some of the teams might actually try and preserve themselves a little bit. They might They might want to give some of the, you know, younger players perhaps uh, a bit more of a chance in some of the games get them some experience or they might try and shield certain players from potential um, infection or injury things like that um, so I think we could see a couple of teams not taking as many risks perhaps as they would in a normal season because that the, there's no penalty for finishing at the bottom or in the bottom uh, two or three exactly I mean uh what we will see is uh that for example if you are already out of the playoff race or your chances are like extremely slim uh what would be like the reason to risk somebody who is playing with an injury at that point for example that uh these these teams for example uh last season silly they had to basically bring guys to play from the operating table i mean it was they they was uh they they couldn't practice or they couldn't do do stuff but then they were just brought out to play so uh it's exactly like you said that in these situations if any clubs runs into that kind of a situation and they have young players that they can give experience safely uh, we could see some of the same elements that we have in our most uh, followed sport so far at least uh, ice hockey that has a like a north american style closed league that when a team misses its playoff uh, hopes they're uh, starting to give uh, they might even give players away but but I hope that we don't see that in Pesapolo. But but it's an understandable decision that there are no relegations. I think that's a good call. Oh, I agree. Uh, one of the things that immediately struck me was how swiftly um, this rule was put out there. As soon as there was a suggestion that the uh, season was going to start up, it's as a first rule, nobody's going down. 
And that takes the pressure off the teams or the clubs feeling that they have to participate in order to retain their superbasis uh, status. And I think that was a really, a really good thing. I'm, I'm not sure that every league around the world and every sport would have, would have opened with that. Um, it, it, it is going to be a shame because one of the uh, highlights in my mind towards the end of the season and, uh, and in the postseason um, was Sipe's uh, really dramatic uh, rescue and salvation <laughs> to retain their super basis spot. It was it was fantastic to watch. It, it um, is. I mean, that's uh, that has a lot of fascination of its own kind to watch the relegation scrabble and the fight. I mean, and the promotion push from Kaspersis and so on. So it's. Uh, but I think that. It was absolutely necessary to uh, remove that possibility because the reality now within the ranks of the teams is that a lot of the players have been like uh, fallout from their work, so they are like they and they have to keep their, for example, their holidays that they normally would uh, spend at the some time of the season uh, for financial reasons. Uh, different companies will uh, have made their employers uh, employees to take their uh, vacations uh, before the start of the season and now that they are playing a packed schedule uh, and who knows what will happen in terms of the uh, infections and stuff like that it's it's a really hard combination for semi-professional athletes to go through and uh, even though the situation regarding the COVID is actually quite reasonable right now, uh, in some regions of the country, we've been speaking about Joensu and the Joensu region, like Kite is included in the county. Uh, as we speak, there have been over four weeks since the last new COVID infection. So, and in total, we're talking about 20 infections in the whole county, in the whole time. So, it's pretty much non-existent. So, and they are starting to open up the society. So, let's hope for the best. Absolutely. So, with all of that in mind, who do you think is going to finish in the bottom spot this year? Well, my two prime candidates for that were Kosken Korva and Sili Yarvi. And uh, as much as I like the work that Sili Yarvi has put in with their young team, and uh, they they have players that I like a lot in the, in the squad, but they lost so crucial players when, uh, when Simo Vanikane went to Joensu and Kim Molukare stopped playing. So they got players to on their place, yes, obviously. But I think that those losses make that it's, it's going to be hard for them or somebody has to raise their level a lot uh, to be able to f- uh, avoid that uh, last two or three spots. And Kosken Gorva is my other candidate. They have good, like, their best players are absolutely from the top drawer. But in terms of the problems that they have in their game, uh, I really wasn't convinced with their play last season or in the Halle SM. So I think that there's a real possibility that things can go south for them. But those are my two candidates. Well, Koskan Korfa um, last year spent a lot of the season uh, scrapping with Ali Arfi uh, for bottom spot yeah. in the table. It was only towards the very end, uh, after the Atalanta game, that they they started to creep up and up the table and really just work their way out of relegation altogether. Um, I've got them sort of similarly down towards the bottom for a similar reason to, to what you've said, but uh, as with Sipa, but my bottom team pick is uh, Campelli. I like them. I think they're a, a, a good organisation, and I think they're really um, forward-thinking. But I just don't see the level of play that is going to keep them above that bottom space. 
and um, today they've actually announced um, they've had to part company with uh, their game manager yeah. and um, a player from Denmark uh, who had signed from uh, Puyon Pesis in Urkus Pesis uh, from last year uh, he, he's had to part as well uh, from the team so there's there's a little bit of kind of unsteadiness there as well to add on to what was already my my worries and thoughts about them before that. Well, yeah, I think you have a lot of good points there. I mean, they they've been building building their program and the whole like structure of the club carefully and uh, doing a good job, but for a number of reasons, there are still many uncertainties uh, surrounding the team, uh, out of which uh, the announcement of parting company with their head coach and the game manager is like, it's obviously it's a big concern at this stage, but uh, let's see, they they will appoint a new one uh, and come up with that next week. So I think that tells a little bit more about Gambit. And uh, when I asked Ron this question, he said, I wouldn't like to say. <laughs> so <laughs> there we are. That's Ron's prediction. He's not going to tell us. Um, we'll we'll take a second break now and then we'll uh, crack on with the news and round up exactly what's been going on in this last month in Superpesis. Okay, and welcome back. We're going to look at the news now. Uh, last time it was all doom and gloom. There was a lot of panic, a lot of fear that a lot of the finances in the clubs weren't in great shape. I mean, that's still there. But I think the light at the end of the tunnel now is the fact that because the country is starting to open up, the government guidance is starting to relax a little bit, that uh, Pespalo is going to be played. We're going to see the start of the Urkuspesis and the women's uh, Superpesis season in June and that will build then of course uh, as we mentioned earlier to the men's Superpesis on the 2nd of July. We still don't know all the details about how they're going to try and um, ensure safety for both players and spectators, the backroom staff, the vendors who, who sell uh, either food or, or other things at, at games, but there is some some hope. At least we're going to have a a, a season of some sorts. What, what's your take on that, Mika? Yeah, I, I would definitely agree that the, right now the situation, the energy uh, within the teams is that they're they're sensing the start of the season and for athletes it's like uh, then we return to normal and for coaches and for like people inside the club that this is what they know this is what they are prepared for and uh, now the all the teams have gone through the like the talks with their uh not just their people that they are employing, but also the uh, players and the coaches and have come up with the harsh facts that, okay, we're going to lose so much money that we have to cut down on your salaries. And uh, if that's not okay with you, you you can uh, you need to find a new place uh, where you can play. And for some people, for their uh, personal reasons, it's impossible possible to play in these kinds of situations which is uh, completely understandable of course but uh, but I think that yes I mean now it's we're talking about a couple of weeks in the men's we're talking about men's league we're talking about five weeks and uh, we're getting the schedule and uh, there's definitely hope so it's uh, it's not all doom and gloom <laughs> anymore so it's uh, it, it's more like uh, now everybody is just doing problem solving but at least people seem to have their hands full now of like the daily stuff so they don't just like sit around at home waiting that something would happen 
Well, you, you mentioned some of the problems that players are, are having. One of the announcements that came out this week was that uh, Hoving Contarco have actually had to part company with their game manager uh, and Marcos Duica as well. Um, their CEO has stepped in to be game manager. So the ship isn't left without somebody at the helm steering it. Um, it it's a good and natural choice. Uh, it, it is a shame that uh, Pasi Kokonen has had to uh, step step aside from that role. The details weren't a hundred percent clear, but what I did see from Hoven uh, Kantako's website was that um, something you touched on earlier, actually, that that people have had to take their holiday days out of sync for where they would normally, and in fact, his work life isn't going to fit in with the Super Pesis season and of course now it's it's going to be a, a shrunk season there may be more games fit in it's not something that he he can do and that is such a shame we've we've got to try and move on um but it's you know there's still a gap between now and the beginning of the season for Darko to really kind of get used to that change yeah i mean uh the life of the uh, sup- life of a super player and the life of uh, a head coach uh, in in super it's like most of the time it's like juggling three or four four balls in the air at the same time because you're trying to fit in your uh, work you're trying to fit in your uh, family life you're trying to fit in the and then there's also other things in life that you have to take into consideration and this was a prime example that uh, like being a small-scale entrepreneur like running your own company and being responsible for bringing the food to the table uh, and if you have had to make a lot of cuts in like like financially and if you have had to move uh, like this, your, your daily life schedule and your plans have been considerably changed. The circumstances ha- are extremely different than uh, like six months ago or seven months ago when he signed the initial contract. And that's a, that's a prime example. And I, I hate to see that kind of things happen. And uh, I, I really hope that they they made the right decisions for their personal life. But also I need to say that new head coach that they have, Mekaranta Torekka, is one of the, uh, like if we take a look at the, from the start of the millennium, he he's one of the key factors that Tahko won their championship in 2007. And he has an extremely bright mind, especially when it comes to playing on the outfield. And uh, I would, I would honestly have to say that he's a he's a big improvement actually in that section. And uh, in in my papers, even though Marco Stoica would have been a huge player for them and just what they needed, they can actually benefit from these kind of circumstances in the long run. And I, I think that's that's the key here. You know, there's there's a lot of decisions that a lot of teams are having to make. One of the other things that uh, I've seen uh, is Vimpelli have agreed with the players to reduce their salaries for 2020 in order to make sure that there's enough money to go around, keep the club afloat, because a lot of their revenue, being from such a small place, a lot of their revenue comes from the tickets, comes from. Uh, the restaurant and, and, and the food uh, that they sell at the games. So all of a sudden, if that's drying up or it's, or it's reduced, uh, you know, having the players agree to reduce their wages for the season is uh, it's a big ask, but it, it, it hopefully will help Vimpelli in, in their specific situation stay afloat. And this is a, another prime example that a lot of clubs have come forward with similar kind of statements in the last uh, couple of days and last couple of weeks. Uh, for example, Kempele and Imatra. And uh, there was also a big article in one of the uh, big daily papers in Finland about the financial situation of the clubs in general. And... Uh, 
it's a it's a harsh reality that if if they take a look at the contracts that have been negotiated seven months ago uh there in the end i don't think there's a single club that can hold on to those commitments unfortunately and in these circumstances i think the players also they uh, they are obviously they they understand the situation and they 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 know that they we're all in this together uh, but uh, in in a short term, I think that this will also bring the game a little bit more to the grassroots, and it makes it a little bit more of an amateur sport, not just a semi-professional sport. But it will also bring, uh, if we take a look in a couple of years, I, I'm sure that it will bring new uh, new clubs to the stage because there's always somebody who's willing to give it a shot and for whose company is doing quite well despite of the situation for example and uh, the reality is that if if somebody wants to come up uh, at the end of this season if everything stays uh, if anything goes back at at least even close to normal uh, somebody could gather up actually uh, top five top six team with a really moderate amount of money if we're being honest because uh, a lot of wages have to be got cut in the long term also so let's see i mean this can this can bring a whole lot of new players to the stage in terms of what clubs are successful going back to to what you said about the contract commitments one that that really has caught my eye uh, was a name we already mentioned, uh, Tony Kohonen, uh, with KPL. There's still some uncertainties over whether he's either going to start the season with them or whether he'll play at all for them. I, I really hope that he does, not just because I've picked KPL as my championship pick, um, but also because uh, he's a great personality to have out there. It's a really interesting player. And one of the most intriguing things about his signing is he is not going to be playing as a Lucari. He's going to be somewhere in the infield. Yeah, and uh, it it should make an interesting like it, it it deserves some recognition and it deserves attention on its own. Uh, it's a it's a fascinating change, and uh, and the reality is that he is talent. Despite the years, I mean, the talent that he has on the bottom of it all, his mindset and his game time experience, and and most of all, in my in my mind, uh, the absolute willingness to drive things forward and uh, win at all costs. It's like. It is something that I would be fascinated to see. Uh, he's also he's already familiar with the club. He's played there. Uh, he has what it takes to play as an infield player for sure. But his overall mentality is something that could help actually to make the final push towards being a championship team even though he's like 43 or something at this stage these things never go away and uh it's just uh it's just as a quick comparison now there's a hugely popular uh, netflix uh, sports documentary series the last dance about michael jordan and watching that and knowing something about uh uh, the personality of Tony Kohonen and having followed him closely, I was, I, to be honest, a lot of the stages when I was going through the documentary, I was thinking that, damn, that's exactly what this guy has been doing in our sport. And that's how I think about him. So yeah, I really hope he plays. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up uh, here for the podcast uh, for another week. I want to thank as ever my co-host Mikko Pirhonen. I also want to thank Ron for his picks or what picks he gave for us um, and I, I hope we can have him back soon but Mikko it's been great talking to you yeah same same here yeah. always a privilege always a pleasure so uh, we'll be back sometime in, in June we'll be looking at some of the signings uh, 
in the off season, hopefully when there's a bit more stability uh, there, and we'll see how the start to the season for Urkespesis and the women's Superpesis has gone, uh, and what developments we've seen there. If you want to know more about uh, Superpesis in English, uh, you can follow our blog. That's superpesisroundup.blogspot.com. Uh, if you like the podcast, or even if you don't, then please comment. Uh, leave us a comment. It would be absolutely great. If you do like us, then please follow us. Uh, we're also on Twitter at uh, R. So again, follow us there. And once again, thank you very much for listening. Something that's hidden far away